caused all this? Is it voodoo? Lucas, not, not, not a man. The father, my father, always say, when the earth spit out the dead, they will come back to suck the blood from the living. That's nonsense. That's just a stupid superstition. Yes, you are right, Doctor. You know many more things than Lucas. I don't believe that voodoo can bring the dead back to life. And Lucas not believe that the dead be dead. So Zombie Flesh Eaters, uh, how could I not love a movie with that title? Uh, and I've got quite well, strong... Well, the title's the American version. The, the film itself is only called Zombie. Well, there's a lot of interesting things. I wasn't sure how quickly we should get into those. I've always been up for a good zombie movie. And there's a, a pretty serviceable documentary on this that puts it in co- context of other zombie movies. The most hmm. interesting thing is that the... Let's say that the first wave of proper zombie movies was Night of the Living Dead, a black and white classic, this by George Romero. The second wave was initiated again by George Romero with his colour sequel, Dawn of the Dead. Yes. And this was, forgive me, was merchandised as a rip-off of Dawn of the Dead, but in fact, I believe it was in production at the same time as Dawn of the Dead or before. Yeah. There's roughly, there's an overlap. So there's no way that it was a cash-in. Although when they when they released it, there was a cash-in. When it was being made, nobody had that in mind. Oh, they had it in mind as a... as Because a, zombie films, it, the Dawn of the Dead wasn't the first, was it? There was one before that that had been quite popular, and I can't think what it would have well, been. Well, uh, I, I could have got this completely wrong, but I, Dawn of the Dead is, I believe, the first one after Night of the Living Dead. When you say another yes. zombie movie, do you mean maybe an Italian one? or? Well, it seems unlikely to me that Fulci would have gone ahead and made a zombie film if he didn't have someone to some fixed market to hit it with. The um, the guy who wrote the Italian this... industry at the time was all about cashing in on very quick cheap remakes or copies. Well, and so zombie no doubt about it would have been following on a bandwagon of some sort. Well maybe it I came don't... between Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead or something then but I, I, my impression was that it was unexpectedly original. Because the guy who wrote it was talking about how he was wanted to write a sort of more traditional zombie which, movie which involved voodoo, which none of these other ones really do. True. And the voodoo thing... Yeah, Dawn of the Dead was 78, this was 79. Um, so, yeah, even though it wasn't released until 79, I can guarantee you that... I know how the Italian film industry works. They'd have had this done in four weeks. Yeah, so it was a quick <laughs> response. Yeah. Um, now, the first thing that has to be said is that it's good, but it's got problems. Yes, all the normal problems that are inherent with any Italian production. However, I think this is a brilliant film, and I, I think it's the best zombie film out there. It's very well contextualised because it begins with an interview with a very um, charming British actor who's in it, whose name you're, you're about to tell me. <laughs> Ian McCulloch. Yeah, who, and he says... For years, I, I disowned this movie and derided it, and I hadn't seen it. And he said that I saw it one day, and I thought it was really good. And I thought <laughs> it was kind of charmingly honest, and also it really sets you up to give the movie a chance. 
this is not uncommon with actors who appear in Italian productions, is that they rarely actually want to bother watching it. It's just easy money that they think no one will ever see. Right, well, this is this had a lot of surprises for me. So the first thing is, there's this beautiful sequence at the beginning involving an abandoned sailboat which is dead in the water and is just drifting. And it's drifting into a harbour in New York. And this yes. blew my mind because I thought this movie was set in the jungle. Ultimately, it does move to the jungle, but I had no idea it was going to begin in New York. And there's this really terrific, well-shot and highly intriguing sequence about this deserted boat as it's drifting in and it's taken up, by, I guess, by the Coast Guard or the river police or somebody who take control of it. And there's a, it's a really, truly effective sequence, a great way to start the movie. And I've got to, we'll, we'll mention this again, but the score is by Fabio Fritzi. And there's this fabulous bit in this where there's a sort of synthy bit where we're inside the deserted cabin and it really builds the suspense and it's really scary. And I thought, the music, I've written the score by Fritzi and company, there must have been somebody else involved, is very scary, underlined. Yes. Um, I, I think, again, I think this is Fritzi's best score as well. His first, I think it's also his first film score. Well, um, it's very, I thought it was tremendously gripping. Because he did the, the music with Giorgio Cassio. That's the other guy. I have no um, idea who that is. No, I don't either. But the uh, I'm just checking because I'm almost certain this is Frizzy's first film. Oh, no, he did a couple of porn before this. <laughs> uh, I'm pleased to hear it. Oh, he did Four of the Apocalypse too. Okay, so no, it's not that early at all. Okay, but the, your point yeah. is that it's an outstanding score by him early in his career. Yeah, I, I, just, oh, I love it. The, I really like this film. I want to also give a shout out to the camera work, which is amazingly fluid. There's a bit, I mean, these are just simple bread and butter shots, but they're so well done. There's a bit where they uh, have this grappling hook, this, that's not the right term, but where they've got this hook to hook onto the boat. And the way the camera just follows the moves is perfect. And similarly, there's a fantastic shot of the cop where it moves from his face to what he's seeing. It's just the, the camera work is by someone who's just an exemplary artist who knows exactly what they're doing. Ah, that, if you heard that, that was the cat flap. That was my cat. <laughs> Fabulous. So I'm giving all this praise to this movie because I've written the zombie when he appears is so shit. Utterly laughable. Is Do that... you think? I like these zombies because well, they're dusty and old rather is... than slimy and wet. This is not a global comment. The zombies are very variable, but... The first zombie in a zombie movie, as you know, is very important. And the first zombie in this movie is basically a big fat guy covered with flour <laughs> or white paint. Take your pick. And he comes stumbling out and all that suspense, which was so superbly evoked by this fluid camera work and Fritzi's gorgeous score. I just laughed. I'm sorry. Now, there are much better zombies later on, but they always remain variable. You can't, you can't count on a good zombie in this movie. Now, you see, I disagree. I think these zombies <laughs> look great. And it's oh, the ones can't. in Dawn of the Dead I don't like. Oh, those blue-faced Smurfs. Yeah, but at least but, they're consistent. At least they look like they've been created by a makeup department. These look like they're done by some whoa. stoned homeless people on a bad day. <laughs> the visual effects crew on this film are like no other. And I, I just don't think you're giving it a fair... Ian McCulloch, is that the name? He, yes. he, he really was praising the special effects. And they are sometimes tremendously good. But other times, they're really dodgy. I just I, Let us t say to our listeners, just check out the first zombie and then you can make up your own mind. But oh, you, they'll have seen it. If you think it's dreadful, don't stop watching at that point because the movie 
is better than that. The two guys on visual effects are Giovanni Corridori and Gianetto De Rossi. And these guys have credits like you wouldn't believe. Uh, Corridori worked uh, Godfather 3, Kioma, um, all the Leone films, uh, Gangs of New York, Life is Beautiful, and uh, what's his name? Giannetti, Giannetto De Rossi did the makeup for, again, Once Upon a Time in the West, Conan, you know, they, June as well. They These guys know their stuff. <laughs> and it shows in this film. And that first zombie is nowhere near as bad as you're making out. Oh, it's, it's worse. And the thing is, my <laughs> impression was, I have no idea if this was shot in sequence, but if it was, I, I, my excuse would be there's a learning curve and the first zombie was a dud. But I tell you what, it's always possible that it was a different crew in the US than it was in Italy. That's quite Oh, possible. OK. Well, I th- I, we found some common ground on which we might be able to agree. But I don't want to get bogged down on zombie nitpicking because I've written here... Um, I've written for a sorry, is that Mia Farrow's sister? Indeed, it, it does turn out to be Mia Farrow's sister. Not the zombie, but the sort of female lead. I've written, looks just like her. Uh, Much cheaper. Yes. I've written, this is so close to being a terrific film. Excellent camera work and lighting. The scene on the sailboat at night, because what happens is the zombie attacks the cop, and uh, the cop goes down, obviously, and then the zombie disappears into the water. So what they left, once they take the cop into hospital, not knowing that he's going to be zombified, the sailboat is confiscated, if that's the word, and it's all—it's deserted at night on the docks. And an intrepid reporter and the sister of the... or the daughter of the sailboat owner, is that what Mia Farrow's sister is? Yeah, the guy who, uh, at the very beginning of the film, who is shot in the bag... Yeah. ...is her father, <laughs> and that's her boat. Yeah, so, so it's, her dad's boat has come back from... Is it Haiti? Anyway, somewhere in the Caribbean... Uh, where there's loads of zombies, but it's drifted into New York. She doesn't know what the hell's happened, so she wants to find out, and so does this intrepid reporter, Ian McCulloch. The point is, there's this wonderful sequence when they're investigating the spooky, deserted boat at night, and I just thought that was a bravura sequence, really well done. It's one of the few I don't like. I think everything up to the island is very slow, and it needs to pick up the pace of it. Once they hit the island, or in fact, just before they hit the island, that film just doesn't let up. But now, I think you could easily trim about 10 minutes from the opening sure. of this film. Yeah, especially because the zombie, although it's pretty clear what's going to happen, the zombie infestation hasn't swept New York yet. So there's no, no zombie fun to be had in New York after that first zombie goes underwater. If we could just say a little word about The Intrepid Reporter. Um, this is one of the reasons I love this film so much. I saw this film first when I think I was probably about 11. Perfect. <laughs> and... Um, the main reporter, Ian McCulloch, is Peter West, which is my dad's name. Oh, that's lovely. So, so I, this film always makes me chuckle when I watch it, when he goes, hello, I'm Peter West. Well, he's kind <laughs> of very likeable, I, th- I think. Uh, he's, a, he's a British reporter who's been seconded to an American paper because I think his dad owns it or something. There's something like that going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's privileged as usual. Now, they then, they being Mia Farrow and Peter sorry, Peter West, I'm going to talk, I don't know what Mia Farrow's character's name is, they fly out to the Caribbean and they share a, a ride on a yacht to the destination island, the spooky destination island where Mia's sister's dad has disappeared. I really, Tisa. Tisa, where Tisa's dad has disappeared. <laughs> and the great thing is, at this point, um, there were this couple on the yacht and this is where the flagrantly uncalled for nudity begins in this movie which I adored because to me a movie like Zombie Flesh Eaters which is a lurid exploitation film should be full of 
completely gratuitous nudity. And I, I loved it. So what happens is, as soon as this chick, she's a scuba diving chick, and of course she has to go scuba diving topless. <laughs> because, you know, what other possible way of scuba diving is there in an exploitation film? Well, I remember, because this main character is called Peter West, I made my dad watch this film. <laughs> and he said nothing throughout the film, except during this sequence, where he just said, Yes, I suppose that is a sensible way to dive in that sort of water. <laughs> so, <laughs> that to, was his sole input. <laughs> to, what, to, to cover the awkwardness of the moment of watching it with his young son. I, possibly, I don't know. He never usually did. I just think um, it was the only bit that caught his attention. Well, I'd probably you probably could swim very happily in tropic water like that. But, but I loved it because <laughs> there was a time when you could count on lurid B-movies to be full of completely unjustified nudity. And I loved it. And then at some point... That ceased to be, and American movies in particular became incredibly timid about that. Yes. Um, I think a lot of the... Uh, what, what makes this work in Zombie is that little knowing look between McCulloch and Tisa Fallero on, on the boat <laughs> when they, they both realise they've been looking at her tits. <laughs> they share this little glance. I really like that. I think it, it just pulls it back a bit from being exploitation. It actually what gives is, you a, a laugh as well. What is the name of the actress who, who's scuba diving? Oh, I knew you were going to ask me that. Well, it's only um, fair since we're just we're objectifying her so relentlessly. Oretta Gay. She's pretty magnificent, has to be said. I could have well, I could have watched her underwater for the rest of the film. However, once she's underwater, there is the world's first. I think I'm safe in saying this: zombie shark attack. I mean, attack of a shark by a zombie. This sequence is like no other and we'd just recently done Thunderball where we were talking about underwater sequences and sharks and I was saying how boring they are this is an underwater sequence that I have so much time for well it's not it just it's this is what Fawlty does quite well in this film is that where you think the danger is is not where the danger is so while she's underwater we're concerned about this shark we do not expect a hand to drop on her shoulder <laughs> underwater and the problem to actually be the bloody zombie rather than the shark itself. Yeah, yeah. Well, that that is very clever. And but also, as with Thunderball, I was concerned that the sharks might have suffered because you know I'm a bleeding heart. Uh, These sharks, uh, no. Good. The the guy doing the stunts uh, knew the sharks. The sharks were very harmless, but they obviously they look good on film. Yeah, but they didn't. And, uh, they didn't hurt the sharks when they made no. the movie. That, and well, the that's sequence good. is incredible. Well, then I can enjoy the nudity and the zombie wrestling with a shark. Uh, in a guilt-free fashion. So my notes in the in, the, in my notebook at uh, this section are plentiful nudity, shark attack zombie. <laughs> <laughs> so I think we kind of covered that. Oh, but well, it, again, this is I want to go into detail of how well shot this is. This isn't like a, a cheap and easy stunt. There are no air bubbles coming from that guy. So I, I, I hadn't I hadn't noticed that because one doesn't notice the absence of things. But that's a very good point. He's dead. He's a zombie. So there's no breath coming out of him at all. And I don't fully understand how they achieved that, whether he had to hold his breath or whether there was a pipe run down his trouser leg or what. <laughs> um, it, it up. It's, it's impressive. It's a superb sequence. I love it. Uh, the zombie is much better than the first zombie. I'm still a little, I'm not 100% with the underwater zombie, but it's a fab scene. And I want to pause there for a moment because you mentioned that scene right at the beginning where Tia's dad, is that her name, Tia? Yeah, uh, Tisa. Tisa's dad. Tisa Farrow. What? We can call her Anne, if you like. Yeah, no, I wanted, wanted to name. call her by the character's name, Anne. So Anne's dad is killed at the beginning because what they do is they've got a zombie problem on this island that we're going to, and there's a hospital full of people who are dying, and as soon as they die, they become zombies. But the interesting thing that they do is that they put sacks on their head, like bags over their head, 
to, so that when they shoot them in the head, it's not quite as distressing. And the, the, the scenes of these bag-headed animated corpses come to life are extraordinary. Uh, well, none of the bag-headed ones come back to life. Yeah, because right at the beginning, the, this guy's sitting up with his bag on his head and they shoot him through the bag. That's oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They put the bag on the... Uh, yeah, I see what you mean, yeah. And then he shoots him. Yeah, yeah the, the bag is pre, uh, pre-zombie killing shot. You know, the only reason it's there is because it's much easier for the effects. But I, uh, yes, but it is such a gruesome and compelling visual. It's really, they've really lucked out with that. It's serendipity. So uh, my next note is poor continuity. The husband's shirt is suddenly covered with blood for no reason. Oh, this is much later on when when, uh, uh, the scuba diving chick, it gets it. There's also a great scene where the, the doctor, there's sort of a mad, resident mad scientist on the island. He's the doctor who runs the hospital. And of course, he's, care, he's experimenting with the zombies. He's, you know, he, wants, he wants to further the purposes of science. The main thing is, though, he's got a wife who takes a long shower, not surprisingly in the nude. I've got a note about that. Is The last thing I want in a shower is three mirrors full length <laughs> around me. <laughs> yes, but you don't look as nice as this woman does. And her name would be... Oh, um, who would it have been? It would have been Olga Carlottis. Carlottis? Carlottis? I can't remember her name. But the nudity doesn't last long, and there's a very gruesome zombie attack during her shower, and perhaps you'd like to tell the audience what happens, because I don't want to. Again, this is just a a masterpiece of editing. Um, Fulci is known as a bit of a trash director, but he's not. He's a really good filmmaker when he's on his game. Like any Italian director, he went off the boil, but he went off the boil in a much bigger way. And when you look back at films like this, which you would expect to be some cheap, nasty exploitation film badly shot, this sequence <laughs> is just like... I, I, I don't know anyone that watches it, and it doesn't matter how unrealistic you may think it looks, nobody can watch it without wincing or going, oh my God. Well, tell, um, tell the folks at home what happens. Well, <laughs> these zombi- She's basically defending herself against invading zombies. It's and the old smash through the door trick. Right? Yeah, they've smashed through the wooden door and there's a large, long splinter of wood <laughs> right in front of her. And this zombie grabs the back of her head and pulls her very slowly oh towards this sharp point. You may want to stop listening now, folks. <laughs> it enters her eye. And this is what I love about Fulci. doesn't just go in. It turns to the side and pulls the eye out and rips the eyeball. Yeah, it's, it's a major piece of, of eye violation. Which, uh, you know, probably the most prominent one since Le Chien Andalou. We were talking about, what was the other movie with the, the eye thing going on? It Was it another Italian movie? Oh, no, it was, uh, oh, it's uh, one of our podcasts that we haven't, we may have to re-edit because it was our very first one ever, but it, it was thrilling. Yes. Yeah, the, well, the other ones. I found out actually with that one, they did it with an animal eye. Oh, how horrible. Poor animal. But yeah. anyway, uh, yeah. back in the days... People may not remember this, but there was a time when comic books were heavily censored under the aegis of the Comics Code Authority in America. And you had to have the Comics Code stamp on your cover, seal of approval, or you couldn't merchandise the comics. And the Comics Code was like this nutty thing. It was very repressive. And it had a whole list of things that there was specifically uh, ruled out. One was injury to the eye motif, because apparently there's a lot of that in comics before the, uh, the censors arrived. Well, do you remember the, the tale you tell about John Latham Turner when you were working on Doctor Who where he knowingly says that tentacles don't work? Yeah. There's also a rule among uh, visual effects artists that eyeballs never work. <laughs> so 
every now and then people get it right, but they're really difficult things to do. You can't fake an eyeball. They it's generally look phony is what you're getting at. Right? Yeah. So and just... a lot of that's down to, and I, I, I only mentioned this because I was, I was watching a documentary about it the other day. Uh, uh, Stibaletti was talking about um, eyeballs. He said they make so many micro-movements that it's really difficult to replicate that on a fake eyeball. Oh, that makes sense, because your so, eyes constantly adjusting, yeah. Micro because right. anyone you speak to and anyone you interact with, you always look at their eyes. The, the human eyes are used to seeing the human eye. And any changes like that, you immediately notice something's not right. Okay, well, that <laughs> enough eye chat. So what <laughs> happens is the, they, our heroes land on the island. There's a big zombie infestation. The zombies, and although this is like a Romero movie, it's unlike it in that it's taking place in this really impoverished uh, Caribbean setting and that there's a voodoo kind of, sorry, voodoo kind of background thing. And there's well, some really striking sequences. I've written a couple lying snogging on the grave as a zombie begins to dig himself out. There's, I mean, prior to this, the moment they arrive at the island uh, and any scene set on the island, uh, Frizzy has this constant drum going in the background. And it's so effective. It's there from this point onwards. It's there for about 40 minutes on the soundtrack and it doesn't once leave the soundtrack. And it really helps to set the tempo and the tension of the, everything that's going on. It's really well done. And those zombies, I might add, come out of the ground to that tempo. That's that what you're talking about. Now, I've also written here, the zombies are hugely variable. Some are pretty good. Well, this is, again, um, another thing I like about this film, which not everyone will, but it's what I've noticed, is that the zombies date from different eras, different periods. Some of them are 100 years dead, some of them are only 10 years dead, so they're yep. all in different states of decay, so you've got different <laughs> types of zombie, and it all depends on how long that one's been dead for, so they More have got a lot better things. Uh, in much the same way as, let's go with it, uh, the hemovores. You know, some of those are from different eras, some are younger, some are older, so some have been dead longer, um, effort actually went into designing those as well. Just so people know, I used to work on a show called <laughs> Doctor Who, and we had a very good story called The Curse of Fenric, uh, which featured vampires, and the producer didn't like the word vampires, so Ian Briggs, the writer, came up with the term hemovores, and there were sort of aquatic vampires that came out of the sea, and they were really dodgy. So I don't want it to seem like I'm bad mouthing uh, Fulci <laughs> zombies when, God knows, I was involved in some very, very dodgy special effects. Not directly, because I wasn't in the effects department, but I, I was involved in the scripts, creating the scripts which gave rise to some terrible special effects. That's entirely true. Oh, just thinking about it, you had at least two zombies in your stories. Uh, one in Paradise Towers. We're going down a Doctor Who rabbit hole, but let's do that. Sure, there, there was in Paradise Towers and... Uh, do you oh, know they're both Stephen Wyatt. They were, I just realised that, yes. <laughs> I, sh I shouldn't have let him get away with that. It's the same gag, yeah. twice. Well, that never happened before, did it? Yes, both bad guys, uh, both chief bad guys, end up as zombies. Yes, okay, we'll have to. Have a we got distracted. <laughs> yeah, yeah, easily done. Now, I just wanted to touch on my favourite moment in this film, where the heroes are all barricading themselves in the, the hospital from what is now virtually an island full of zombies closing in on them. And as they barricade themselves in, one character says, "Will this hold them?" And the other character says, "Not a chance." <laughs> <laughs> well, again, this is your. This is what I like about a good zombie film, is that if there's no hope, keep it that way. Don't have a, a surprise, hooray, we made it at the end. Yeah, you need to have a dark, miserable ending. Well, yeah, I'd, I'd say that that's... And that 
tradition was set by the Night of the Living Dead back in the, the 60s, yeah. the original black and white masterpiece by Romero. Well, you say masterpiece. I don't like Night of the Living Dead at all. Oh, God, you're, you're so contrary. No, I just don't like Romero films. I, I'm not a big fan of, of his stuff. I quite like the short version of... I like the Argento cut of Dawn of the Dead. I found that quite interesting, but... Yeah. For the most part, well, it's let's not for me. schedule that, and also the original black and white Night of the Living Dead, because I need oh, to see that I again. I can't sit through that. No, you can and you will. Now, uh, the main note I want to say: this disc was it Arrow? The, the Arrow, Blu-ray yes. That, yeah, it's your Blu-ray, which you lent, lent to me. Thank you very much. It's got some really good extras on it. Well, really good in, in the information content because I've already referenced them. But I've written here: the extras are so badly filmed brackets shitty lighting and no makeup that the interviewees look like zombies in fact they're much more convincing zombies than any of the zombies in the film do look at it sometime people like um david mcgillivray uh, you know very useful people are knowledgeable people are being interviewed and they're just so badly filmed it's completely which ties in with something you were saying about how um incorrigibly cheap some of these extras are when they don't need to be well in many ways they do need to be because you've only got so much money to spend on a documentary. Most of the time, they're happy to pay a lot of that money to go to Italy and shoot this stuff. Well, this wasn't um, Italy. These were just people that are being interviewed in the UK. All of them. Uh, there might have been an token Italian in there. You're right. Yeah. So that all goes to one budget. So I get that. What I don't want them to do is spend the money on a new bloody DVD cover. That really irritates okay. me. Okay. We're not going to go down that road, but. It doesn't take extra money just to position the lamps properly so that they don't make somebody look like they're warmed over corpses. I honestly don't think they're using lamps. I think they just turn up the cameras on auto and they just shoot it as best they can. Yeah, some of these extras, they don't even have a mic. I've, I've seen some really bad ones. So Zombie Flesh Eaters, great title. Uh, Full-on, wonderful, completely gratuitous nudity. Uh, variable zombies. Some very fine filmmaking. Just really basically great film grammar in this movie and a terrific score uh, that's sort of my take on it and I was as in terms of a lurid prurient exploitation movie this for me really delivered the goods it took me back to when I was a kid when I wanted uh, these mo movies to be like this I wanted them to be you know gory and full of nudity and it totally delivered so thank you very much for uh, letting me see it <laughs> that's all right I made one little note at the bottom here which just says Andrew will be counting bullets Oh, I didn't. I didn't. But I, I, well, or rather, I pro I can't help doing that when a revolver is fired, checking whether it's more than six bullets. So I assume that the uh, that, that it was kosher. The number of bullets was fine. No, it wasn't. It's the guy. Um, it's the guy with the mysteriously bloody shirt you were talking about, uh, Brian. Uh, after his wife's been killed, he's he married to Scuba bit, Girl in the film. Yeah, yep. he starts firing his gun. He gets a bit gun happy, and uh, yeah, he fires way more bullets than he's got in that gun. Oh, well, that's another thing to put on the deficit side, along with dodgy flower-covered zombies. That's fair. Just so people Good. know, flower is spelled F-L-O-U-R. <laughs> They're not hippie zombies. They're covered with baking accessories. I can probably find a film where they are. Oh, I wouldn't mind. Yeah. but <laughs> Hippie zombie film, I'll find one. <laughs> so, uh, more Fulci, please. Okay, that will be done. This has been a podcast by my friend Matt West and myself, Andrew Cartmel. But very importantly, the music, the fabulous music you heard at the beginning and that you're listening to now is by Joe Kramer. Thank you very much, Joe. In my opinion, the death of the poor bastard was caused by massive hemorrhage.
due to a huge laceration of the juggler. Hmm. 